0: There's a number of Abraham Lincolns out there, as you have met, who can tell Abraham's side of the story. Mm -hmm. And I do emphasize, it is his side of the story, and Mary Lincoln is the other side of the story.
1: Welcome to Drinking with Lincoln from WNIJ, where we explore Abraham Lincoln's life, land, and legacy through the eyes of the people who know him best, Lincoln presenters. Each episode, we'll learn a little about Lincoln's life, and then I'll sit down with our guest for a drink, maybe two, and get their take on America's most popular president. I'll also learn about the presenters themselves, where they come from, why they do what they do, what makes them Lincoln. I'm your host, Clint Cargile. I'm an author, historian, and professional Lincoln appreciator. And today's guest Lincoln is not Abraham Lincoln, but Mary Lincoln, portrayed by actress, librarian, and researcher Laura Keyes.
0: Mrs. Todd was jealous of the attention my papa paid me. She didn't have two intelligent thoughts together in her head, (laughs) and didn't understand half of the discussions I regularly held with papa and his friends. Oh, especially Mr. Henry Clay.
1: In our last episode, we spoke to Abraham and Mary Lincoln duo Max and Donna Daniels better known as Abe and the Babe. And Donna had this to say about the struggles of being a Mary Lincoln presenter.
0: And there are even some Marys now who portray her by herself, and they don't have an Abraham. And I would say, my bonnet's off to them because mm-hmm. they have, to use an expression, a harder road to hoe. It's harder for them to get their foot in the door without an Abraham.
1: So bonnets off to Laura Keyes, because for the last 10 years, she has made hundreds of solo appearances as Mary Lincoln at schools, libraries, reenactments, and festivals. When requested, she will appear with an Abraham, but she often goes it alone. She is a lifetime member of the Association of Lincoln Presenters and even organized their 2018 annual conference in Freeport. And here's an interesting Mary Todd Lincoln fact that Laura shared with me. Mary Todd Lincoln never went by the name Mary Todd Lincoln. Once she married Abraham, and then for the rest of her life, she went by just Mary Lincoln. So why do we call her Mary Todd? I guess it's just easier to recognize. Anyway, I first heard about Laura Keyes when putting together our very first episode with Lincoln presenter Kevin Wood. When Kevin needs a Mary, he calls up Laura. And, I should note, Laura does more than just portray Mary Lincoln. Over the years, she has expanded her living history character base, making appearances as Laura Ingalls Wilder, Mary Harlan Lincoln, that's Mary Lincoln's daughter-in-law, married to Robert Todd Lincoln, and the fictional Irene Adler, the only woman to outwit Sherlock Holmes. She also gives what she calls illustrated lectures. These are history talks on a wide variety of subjects, from Mary Lincoln's photo album, to the history and folklore of Christmas, to her most popular and most requested lecture, a history of the Hershey Chocolate Company. And she's always adding new material. Her most recent character is famed suffragist Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who she'll be busy portraying in the coming year because 2020 marks the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, which granted women the right to vote. We'll talk more about that later on when Laura and I sit down to chat at Only Child Brewing. But first, my sound guy Spencer and I meet up with Laura at a Civil War reenactment in Hainesville, Illinois. That's coming right up on Drinking with Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln Here's some more Mary Lincoln trivia for you. Mary Lincoln was known for her brightly colored dresses and accessories, but after her husband's assassination, she wore only black. So we know Laura Keys is portraying Mary before those dark days, because when she meets us in Hainesville, her thick cotton dress is a rich green. Lincoln lives. She leads me across what I'll call the civilian grounds, where historical reenactors have set up tents and booths to portray life during Civil War times. The soldiers are all camped in the distance. Is your role here now to kind of Wander around or answer little, people's questions? Yeah,
0: answer people's questions. It's, uh, I try not to use the word vague, but it's a, it's a little bit vague. I work with George Duberstein, who's on the village board here in Haynesville. And he's he's asked me to be Mrs. Lincoln. We agreed on a half an hour presentation. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the time, I'm just mingling with the crowd, which I like. I do like to share Mrs. Lincoln's story. I have seen Mr. Lincoln here. <laughs> You've met Mr. Lincoln.
1: Yep, oh yeah, we go way back. Actually, this particular Abraham Lincoln was being portrayed by a friend of the show and Laura Keys sometimes collaborator, Kevin Wood. Hello, Mr. President.
2: That fellow looks familiar. <laughs> He's one of those newfangled, futuristic uh, <laughs> radio announcers.
0: So, what have you been up to this morning? I've been
2: morning? here chatting you, with people. Of course. Yeah,
1: we're talking all sorts of things.
0: Very good. I've been
1: getting lots of advice.
0: Oh, what advice have you been?
1: You know big, what it, You know what it is, the, the number one oh, piece of advice.
0: Yes, everyone gives you the same advice.
1: Oh, yes. Not going to the theater. Oh, Never, ever, right. ever going to the theater. Half the time, though, it's don't go to the movie theater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. (laughs) All right, one more bit of trivia. Of all the dozens of photographs that exist of Mary and Abraham Lincoln, there is not one photo of them actually together, which is a little sad, I think. So we part with Mr. Lincoln. He wanders the grounds to interact with his constituents. And Laura leads me over to a canopy tent she and her husband have set up for the day.
0: I do enjoy bringing some furniture, as you see. We brought some furniture just so that there's a place to sit down rest a little bit in the shade.
1: Laura's little tent is richly furnished with period-appropriate items. A decorative tea set rests on a small, polished table, which, I later find out, is actually 170 years old. She has plenty of comfortable chairs where visitors can sit and have a chat with the First Lady. She calls this her pseudo-parlor, a place for good tea and good company. To anyone who approaches, Mrs. Lincoln is having tea with a gentleman, Southern abolitionist preacher William Irving Kirk, who is portrayed by Laura's husband, Robert Kirk Kaplafka
2: and no price is too high to pay to scour our nation clean of the lie of slavery.
1: William Irving Kirk is actually Robert's great-great-great-great-grandfather. Robert grew up hearing stories about his abolitionist ancestor.
2: Started preaching to pretty much anyone who would listen, but mainly slaveholders to try to get them to let their slaves go, and telling people how evil slavery was.
1: Robert even has his cane passed down to him through the generations. The cane bears six hash marks, signifying the number of slaveholders Kirk convinced to give up their slaves. When Laura first heard the story behind the cane, she encouraged Robert to not only tell the story, but do so by becoming a living history presenter.
2: She said, you have to write a presentation. And I've been pleased to share the story with people, especially here in Illinois. The idea of a southern abolitionist is something very foreign to them.
1: Robert already had a connection to historical reenactment. From the time he was a baby, his father used to take him to Civil War and Revolutionary War reenactments.
2: When I met Laura, I knew that she portrayed Mary Lincoln. And, oh gosh, it was like our third or fourth date, she asked me to go to a Civil War ball. And I'm like, well, the only period costume I own is a Confederate uniform. And she said, you own a Confederate uniform? And, well, doesn't everyone? They had been set
1: up by a mutual friend who knew they both shared a passion for history. For dressing up as historical characters, at least. I asked Robert what he thought of Laura's side gig.
2: I thought it was really cool.
1: A year and a half later, they were married. The wedding, they tell me, was fairly traditional. But they did follow it with a Civil War-era ball, complete with dance collar and Civil War-era dances. We talked about all the work that goes into becoming a historical reenactor. And Laura mentioned that there's just not enough time in the world to research all the history that goes into being really good at it. Which is why she and Robert are grateful to all the other reenactors who show up to these events and share their knowledge.
0: Human resources, in, in the other sense of the word, are some of the best help that I have received. As a presenter, as a living historian, it's finding these other human resources because they will not only give you the information, they'll also give you the emotional support to use that information.
1: Two of these human resources are John and Elaine Michelli. Laura refers to them as, quote, the king and queen of progressive reenactors. This is due to their fine attention to detail. They're musicians who play 19th century music on 19th century instruments. They make sure that every item of clothing they wear, every instrument they play, is historically accurate. Sometimes this accuracy can plunge you into the bizarre and obscure. Hear the percussion there? That's a donkey's jawbone. Don't you fight for me. Elaine grips the jawbone just below the jutting front teeth, runs a deer antler over the bumpy back molars, making a sound kind of like a washboard. Then she smacks the side, which rattles the teeth into that insect like buzzing sound you hear.
2: It's actually very ingenious. I admire the person who first picked it up and realized you could do that with it, you know? And there's not a lot written about it. It's, it's a truly unique thing, it's a very unique sound. And it draws a crowd no matter what you do. Everyone, everyone wants to come through the job on if you notice. Like there's nobody here, and all of a sudden you take up the job on, oh my goodness, let's go see what that thing is. This
1: stuff just has to be experienced, and that's why Laura loves surrounding herself with people like John and Elaine, and credits them and many other reenactors for helping her along her path. And it's round about this time, while I'm talking to John Michelli, that the battle starts up.
2: So different songs will take on. Sort of a different, different flavor when you hear it on the original oh, instrumentation and song in an original style. You get used to that after a while, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, <laughs> so, but in any event, uh, so we so we like that we like to do music so that you can hear it the way it was done.
1: The Battle of Haynesville is underway. Mrs. Lincoln skips the battle for the comforts of her pseudo-parlor, where she can relax in the shade while visiting with guests less inclined to watch grown men pretend to murder each other. Even though there's a good turnout. Laura did discuss the struggles Civil War reenactments are going through these days. Several long-running reenactments in Illinois have been canceled in the past year. Events in Manuka, Naperville, Lake County, and a few in Wisconsin. Laura points out that it's not just reenactments. She believes there is an overall decline in Civil War interest. This could be for a number of reasons. Not only do you have an aging crowd, but there's the controversy over how we interpret or present the Civil War. What does it mean to don the uniform of a Confederate soldier, to wave the Confederate flag, if only for a reenactment? These are new questions reenactors and living history presenters are dealing with. But Laura identifies another underlying problem that she personally has with reenactments and other Civil War related events.
0: Another thing that I have noticed is the simple misogyny that I have encountered. A friend of mine was acquainted with the person who was organizing a brand new event. This is a, a new town that had never hosted a Civil War event. I shared my information with this person and told them what I do and my presentations as Mrs. Lincoln, a variety of different presentations even. And this person explained that they had no money, it was a new event. And I did understand that from an organizer's point of view, but I did very politely say that I, I would like to be compensated for my time and distance that I'd be traveling. And they said they had no money, so I said, well, perhaps in the future, and and we amicably parted ways. And just about two months later, I heard that my friend who portrays Mr. Lincoln had been hired and was going to be financially compensated for his time. They didn't want to pay Mrs. Lincoln. They would only pay Mr. Lincoln. So that's frustrating.
1: Laura addresses this issue, at least the issue of women's pay, as Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Of course, Stanton wasn't fighting so much for equal pay as she was fighting for women just to have control of their own money. Back then, anything a woman earned was controlled by her husband, and she couldn't use it without permission. I suggested Laura take up this fight as herself, and then, one day, when women reenactors are treated equal as their male counterparts, another woman will take up the mantle as a Laura Keyes reenactor, and the cycle will continue. Despite Laura's frustrations, she's actually pretty positive and upbeat. And like her featured character, Mary Lincoln, she proves to be a charming, witty intellectual. She encourages me to wander the grounds, meet the reenactors, many of whom she considers old friends, so I can learn from their vast knowledge of history. And I meet a lot of interesting people, but I don't want to steal the spotlight from our main guests, so I'm going to save that for a bonus episode. So let's head over to Only Child Brewing in nearby Gurney, so I can sit down with Laura Keys and get to know the woman beneath the bonnet. That's right after this. On a new teacher's lounge, Paul Williams had kids, and he was busy, but the girls wanted to start a basketball team. So he said, just this once, I'll be the coach. And they'll have to find somebody else to (laughs) (laughs) coach the 8th grade team for next year. But uh, as it was, I ended up uh, coaching the girls' basketball team for 14 years until I retired there. I just fell in love with it.
2: Teaching, coaching, and inspiration from junior high girls' basketball. Hear it on the new teacher's lounge on WNIJ.org or wherever you get podcasts.
1: Only Child Brewing is the brainchild of Amanda and Ben Rossi. They began their business back in 2013 and moved to their current location in 2015. It's an industrial-themed taproom located in an industrial park in Gurney. Amanda and Ben have four little kids, so they made their business kid-friendly. There's games and even low tables and chairs for kids to play at while thirsty parents sip some delicious beer. It's also a dog-friendly business. A couple of dogs dropped by the day we were there. So I order the Oktoberfest. Laura is drinking a rose cider from her own personal teacup, and we sidle up to a long table near the front. Now this teacup Laura has, it's a reproduction of Mary Lincoln's actual White House china. Laura notes its unique color.
0: Solferino and today we would call it maroon. It's a unique design in terms of the White House china. It's pretty much one of the only patterns that deviates from a red, white, and blue theme.
1: Laura carries her teacup with her when she performs in public. It gives her a prop, and she can also sip water out of it during a long presentation, but, Always striving for historical accuracy, if she is portraying Mary Lincoln prior to her years in the White House, then she won't use the teacup, as Mary Lincoln would not have had it yet. Laura is from Rockton, Illinois, just north of Rockford. She majored in English Lit from Northern Illinois University, and then got her master's in library studies from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She's been a library director at public libraries, a high school, an arts college, and she's currently the director of the Dunlap Public Library, just north of Peoria. Now let's jump right into her story and find out how she became Mary Lincoln in the first place.
0: I have been doing community theater for quite a number of years. I started when I was in high school in a variety of different groups in community theater around Rockford. And again, since I lived in in Rockton, I actually went up to Beloit and Janesville. And in 2008, a group was putting on a play all about Mrs. Lincoln. The play actually wasn't about Abraham Lincoln hardly at all. And I was cast as Mary Lincoln. I have to admit, I was really surprised to be cast. The play was set in 1875 when Mary Lincoln was 56 years old. And in 2008, I actually wasn't 56 years old. (laughs) I was surprised that I had I was assigned two different makeup artists that took an hour and 20 minutes every night to put enough makeup on me to make me look like, admittedly, a very stressed out 56 year old. (laughs) Uh, Looking at the photos, I, I bet I could have passed for 76 years old, but that was actually the look that we were going for for Mary Lincoln, because by the time she was 56 in 1875, she had truly been through a lot but being the good little librarian that I was, I started my research. I wanted to portray Mary Lincoln as accurately as I could. I started researching Mary and Abraham's life. I started researching the times, uh, the Civil War, of course, and then what came afterwards. That's something that I, I tried my best to bring to the play, which was not always possible because the play is a set script However, I was interviewed, as was the rest of the cast, in the local paper, and I had three phone calls from three different public libraries asking me to come and give a talk on Mary Lincoln, and I thought, okay, I'm going to try this. And the phone calls just haven't stopped, actually.
1: (laughs) How did those first couple of appearances go?
0: My first one went very badly. (laughs) Very badly. Mm -hmm. I was very embarrassed actually one thing that I realized very quickly is that I don't know if I can call it a, a hang up I have such a hang up of being accurate that when I researched and I wrote the script because I, I do research and I write my own pieces I spent so much time trying to make it accurate that when I got up in front of a admittedly large group of people mm-hmm. many of whom I knew which uh, actually makes me even more nervous. Mm-hmm. I I blanked after about ten minutes into my uh, presentation, which lasts a little under an hour. I blanked and did not go well. From that day on, I have decided to, in my presentations, I usually, though not always, carry some notes with me.
1: What do you bring to the table as Mary Lincoln?
0: I do think that I do bring a, a certain amount of accuracy to her story. I believe my skills really do lie in the research and the writing of these presentations. I've won an award for writing a presentation.
1: And what, what award was that?
0: It was a writing award through the Association of Lincoln Presenters, and it was for a presentation that I co-wrote with an acting partner of mine, Dr. Leslie Goddard, Leslie portrays Jacqueline Kennedy whom she has been portraying individually for many many years Hmm. she and I wrote a presentation where it's a bit of an imagined presentation where Mrs. Lincoln meets Mrs. Kennedy Hmm. and they have a very interesting conversation one thing that I will say is that I'm telling Mary's story I'm not simply standing up and rehashing Abraham's story I'm telling Mary's story and I also portray her as human, as incredibly human. I don't, I don't like the phrase, human warts and all, but <laughs> I, I kind of mean that. Yeah. Um, the first presentation that I wrote, which is still one that I give, I actually include the time that Mary Lincoln joined Abraham in a bit of a reviewing of the troops in City Point, Virginia, and she famously had possibly the greatest hissy fit in history she just had a breakdown um, in front of everybody in front of everyone Mm. and she behaved from a couple of accounts she behaved very unprofessionally and she did not apologize for her behavior she kind of insisted that other people needed to apologize to her and there's a couple different accounts of it, so it's, it's unsure what exactly happened. I can piece together a couple things and I can make an assumption of why she became so upset, but it makes her human. She was not perfect. I'm not simply gonna stand up and say all of the wonderful things that she's done, which I could do and would take me more than an hour to say, mm-hmm. because that wouldn't be an accurate, well-rounded image of her either.
1: When you do all your research, mm-hmm. do you have like a favorite source, a favorite author, anything like that?
0: I really do like Catherine Clinton's book that came out um, about nine or ten years ago, Mrs. Lincoln, A Life, though I, I do have to mention um, The Fashionable First Lady, which is a lesser-known book, not quite a biography, it's really a focus on the clothing that Mrs. Lincoln wore, and that's by a historian that I've met, Donna McCreary, Donna McCreary went to great lengths to personally investigate every scrap of clothing that still exists today that is said to have belonged to Mary Lincoln. And she did her research and she chased footnotes to try to really find was this dress, did it belong to Mary Lincoln or did it just, you know, was it of the same era and then someone fudged some records? some museums do that, yeah. and I've seen that. Yeah. Um, but regardless, Donna McCurry's book, Fashionable First Lady, is incredibly helpful. In some instances, I can trace like a, a day-to-day timeline of some of Mary Lincoln's life in the White House, but it also just talks about her clothing, and especially her time in the White House. Her clothing was very important to her, and that doesn't make her shallow, as a lot of people would like to point to, even today we as a country, speaking very generally, pay attention to what the First Lady wears and either criticize or compliment her accordingly. Mm -hmm. And it happened during Mary Lincoln's time too. So she knew she would be criticized and complimented accordingly.
1: It's quite often the only thing that they'll say about the First Lady. It is, it is
0: quite (laughs) often the only thing. You're absolutely right.
1: right. Well, speaking of outfits. You have uh, your Mary Lincoln outfit that you're wearing today. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yes, Uh, this is actually one of my plainer dresses that I have as Mary Lincoln. It's a relatively simple cotton dress, but I chose it today because earlier I was taking part in the Village of Haynesville Civil War event. And that was something that was outside. I was walking around outside. I was asked to give a presentation and that happened to be in a converted barn. And so I needed something that would stand up to mm-hmm. some some dirt and grime. And so that's why I, I chose this dress today. It's of a darker color. Some of the other dresses that I have is Mary Lincoln. I have to admit, they're very fine. I have some embroidered silk gowns, and I would not bring those out on a day like today. The jewelry that I wear, uh, for the most part, are reproductions. I do own some antique pieces, and... I don't feel comfortable all the time wearing them. Again, especially on a day like today when I'm walking around about the equivalent of half an acre, losing something would be incredibly uh, difficult to Mm -hmm. find. And so I admit that I do wear a lot of reproductions.
1: Where do these dresses come from?
0: Most of my dresses are made for me by a variety of different seamstresses and one amazing tailor that I use Very rarely I can find a dress that is ready-made that meets my standards for accuracy not only in construction but also in cloth. Mm -hmm. The cloth has to be of a natural fabric and it has to be a color and a pattern that existed during that time period. And so most of them are made for me. Two of my ball gowns were made for me by a, a gentleman quite locally who lives in Gray's Lake. Brian Dykstra is just an artist with fabric, and he made one of my wedding gowns as well. So I have another woman who is very talented as well. She lives in Oregon. And I I ship her fabric and my measurements, (laughs) and she ships me back a finished dress, and it's perfect. Okay,
1: so you actually get to track down your own historical-looking fabric from that time period. I then, do. Okay. I do
0: do that. Um, and for all of the characters that I portray. Right. And so that's another level of research that I do.
1: Right. Well, let's go ahead and talk about that. You, oh, uh, sure. You portray multiple characters. So I think I uh, Mary Lincoln is probably your most popular character.
0: Yes. Mary Lincoln continues to be very popular. The second person that I started portraying in 2012 was actually Mary Harlan Lincoln. And not too many people know much about her, and even today, she's not one of my very popular characters, but I still hang on to her. I still think her story is important. Mary Harlan was the daughter of the Iowa Senator James Harlan, who was, uh, as I mentioned, a senator and a confidant of Abraham Lincoln's during the course of the Civil War. And when Mary Harlan grew up, she accepted a proposal of marriage from Robert Lincoln. And she became the daughter-in-law of Mary Todd Lincoln. Okay. And Mary Harlan Lincoln had an interesting life of her own. She was a college-educated musician, which was not common in the 1860s, in the Midwest of the 1860s. Um, In 2013, I was asked to portray Laura Ingalls Wilder, whom I have always adored. Mm -hmm. And so I very quickly said yes. In 2016, I started portraying Irene Adler. Now, this is my only fictional character. Irene Adler was the only woman to have outsmarted Sherlock Holmes. Mm. So that's where Irene's story <laughs> comes from. And I thought a great deal before portraying her, but I thought that it was a good, a good and, and unique portrayal to do. My most recent character that I started portraying just earlier this year was Elizabeth Cady Stanton. And I so admire Mrs. Stanton. Mm -hmm. She did so much. She truly was one of the first women to publicly suggest in 1848 that women should have the right to vote. And she didn't live to see that happen and uh, I tell her story. Right now, I I set my presentation in 1866.
1: Okay, why that year?
0: 1866 was a very decisive year. Uh, The 14th and 15th Amendments were being debated in Congress, and if I'm not mistaken, the wording in those amendments was the first time in an amendment where a right was specifically restricted to males Hmm. in the course of writing the constitution and then the first dozen or, or so amendments even if the word man was used the writer kind it was it was assumed that it would be mankind or it was assumed that this applied to only white males there was a lot of assumption going on therefore when these amendments were drawn up the writers truly did use the word male. They only wanted males to have rights of a citizen. And at the time, it was to protect the newly freed slaves and give additional rights to freed slaves who had been freed for decades. The point of it was, for the first time, these politicians were really standing up and publicly saying, no, we truly, truly don't want women to vote. It was a very, very public statement of that, and Mrs. Stanton didn't like that at all.
1: (laughs) I know we have a a big anniversary coming up for women's voting rights. Oh, yes. How are you going to be involved in that?
0: Well, as uh, Mrs. Stanton, I have been asked to participate in an event in Rockford on uh, the 18th of August, and that'll be the actual 100th anniversary of the ratification. Other than that, throughout the whole year of 2020, I'm simply hoping to make an appearance either as Elizabeth Kitty Stanton, or perhaps just an additional speaker on the topic of the history of women's rights. I mentioned I'm a library director. I'm encouraging my fellow library directors to simply acknowledge the anniversary. It doesn't mean they have to hire me. It doesn't mean they have to hire anyone. <laughs> yeah. But simply making an acknowledgement that this anniversary exists, because we can't forget mm-hmm. that the anniversary is so important, and we can't forget the tens of thousands of women who fought really, really hard to bring about votes for women.
1: Well, that's it's interesting that you're a librarian, because you are sort of on both sides of the fence as far as you get hired by libraries, but you also hire historical reenactors such as yourself, are there any gaps? Are there any historical reenactors, characters, figures that you wish were out there that you can't find?
0: Yes, actually, I wish there were more presenters of color. I know a few, they're wonderful, they give wonderful presentations, but once they are hired, then who else is there? I really wish more people of of all colors, Mm -hmm. of, of all nationalities, would give presentations similar to what I give. There's so many different reasons why people might come into these kind of presentations. I came into it through community theater. I've met other people who are retired educators, and so they come at it from an educator's point of view. So one doesn't necessarily have to have a great deal of training. Mm-hmm. One simply has to have an interest. There must be an interest in history in the specific topic. But I do wish more people of color would would do these presentations.
1: Now, you said that you actually got some good mentors along the way. Can yes. you tell us share some stories about some mentors that you've had?
0: Some of the first people I met were Max and Donna Daniels, and I was incredibly grateful that they answered my emails, and then they encouraged me to come to one of their presentations, which would be in Rockford. I remember Donna came up, gave me a hug, and invited me to dinner later. Mm -hmm. And so I I joined them for dinner, and she pulled out of her bag a copy of the book by Donna Creary that I mentioned, Fashionable First Lady, and she just said, oh, I just brought this for you. And I was so overwhelmed that mm-hmm. she just met me, and she's encouraging me, and she's en- encouraging my research and offering to help me. Over the years, Donna Daniels, and again, just, just very briefly, because Donna McCreary and Donna Daniels are actually friends, and they've done a number of things together, I, I've understood that people kind of got them confused, because too many Donnas <laughs> in a room is, mm-hmm. is apparently too confusing. So Donna Daniels was given the nickname Icon mm-hmm. because she is one to whom a lot of other Mary Lincolns aspire. Yeah. So Icon uh, <laughs> has actually given me some dresses that she used to wear as Mary Lincoln. And while some people might think that was weird or you know, I'm now wearing a dress as Mary Lincoln that she wore, in actuality, that's actually something very appropriate. We know Mary Lincoln actually did send her clothing that she had worn for about one or two years to her nieces Hmm. uh, back in Springfield. It was just, it was actually a very common thing to do. And so I'm I'm grateful. That's Icon is so generous and so nice. (laughs) They've pointed me in the right directions. They've actually they've shared my name with other venues to encourage them to hire me. And that's so nice.
1: Yeah, and she actually mentioned that it's very difficult for a Mary Lincoln portrayer to make a go of it on her own without an Abe by her side, and she said that she admires those who have been able to do it. How have you managed to make a go of it on your own without an Abe Lincoln?
0: In a way, I didn't have a choice (laughs) when I started doing this. I didn't have an acting partner. I, I actually didn't even have a friend who physically resembled Abraham Lincoln. Someone mentioned that my my father did, which, which is true, my father is a tall man, and he has a, a thin frame, but my father is of Swedish descent and truly looks nothing like Abraham Lincoln.
1: <laughs> did you attempt to work with him? I didn't, okay. actually,
0: because I, I just still didn't see the need. Yeah. Mary Lincoln's story can stand on its own. She doesn't need to be next to Abraham in order to tell her story. And if one wanted Abraham's story, that's fine. There's a number of Abraham Lincolns out there, as you have met, who can tell Abraham's side of the story. Mm -hmm. And I do emphasize it is his side of the story and Mary Lincoln is the other side of the story. And so I do wish that every time an event or a venue would hire Abraham Lincoln, I wish that they would also hire a Mary Lincoln.
1: And you have worked on occasion with Lincoln portrayer Kevin Wood, who we interviewed back in our first episode. How yes. did How did you meet him?
0: I actually met Kevin through the Association of Lincoln Presenters. We both happen to be lifetime members. Kevin is a wonderful researcher and presenter, and when we met, and at the time, we actually lived not too far apart from each other. I have since moved to the Peoria area, so we're not very close anymore, but Kevin and I still occasionally do work together. Mm -hmm. We sometimes pool our resources to advertise ourselves together, if I can call it that, We've occasionally appeared at conferences. A number of years ago, we appeared at the Illinois Library Association Conference, which allowed us to simply hand around our information to librarians. He and I are discussing actually writing a joint presentation, a sort of short play, as Abraham and Mary Lincoln. He and I find ourselves far too busy to actually (laughs) sit down and write it, but it's something that we are considering.
1: You mentioned the Association of Lincoln Presenters. How did you first get involved with that?
0: Again, through Max and Donna Daniels, they were founding members of the Association of Lincoln Presenters. And they encouraged me to just look into it and see if it was something that I wanted to belong to. And uh, I did. I did join as a lifetime member. I've attended a number of their conferences. They, They host annual conferences in April of every year. I've actually organized one of their conferences uh, about 18 months ago.
1: On average, how many appearances do you think that you do a year as Mary Lincoln and then also as all of your other characters?
0: Oh goodness, Um, I I thought you might ask this, so I actually looked up my numbers so I would give (laughs) accurate information. Mm -hmm. Um, My first year portraying was, was 10 years ago in 2009. And I did 10 presentations the entire year. And of course, they were all as Mary Lincoln. Last year, which would be 2018, I did 69 separate presentations and 25 of them were Mary Lincoln. This year, 2019, we're near the end of the year. I've done 108 presentations. Wow. And again, I also have a full-time job as a library director. <laughs> However, I was actually disappointed to count up that only 14 were as Mary Lincoln. Really? I was kind of uh, saddened to see that. Perhaps the interest in the Civil War is waning a little bit. It could also be because some of my other characters that I portray are interesting in and of themselves, and Mm -hmm. so perhaps some folks are hiring me as Laura Ingalls Wilder or Elizabeth Cady Stanton. And then perhaps next year they'll hire Mm -hmm. me as Mary Lincoln.
1: Who do you get hired as most then? I assumed it was going to be Mary Lincoln.
0: It actually, in the past couple years, it actually has been Laura Ingalls Wilder. Okay. Though this calendar year, looking just at numbers, the majority of my presentations were actually not living history presentations. One thing that I started doing a couple years ago was giving what I call illustrated lectures. So it's me lecturing on a topic of history, but it's, it's as Laura Keys. And so I give a couple different lectures. I give one actually talking about the photograph album that Mary Lincoln herself kept, which I think is fascinating. And mm-hmm. at first, I truly did think that I might give a presentation as Mary Lincoln. But then I realized that if I did that, and if I were completely accurate, mm-hmm. every photograph that she would have had in her album which we know she did have in her album it would be a bit colored from her perspective Mm -hmm. so in order to give an unbiased opinion on a person or a place or a there were even photographs of things in in her album i had to give it from an unbiased neutral third party which would be laura key's
1: Has portraying historical figures had any effect on your personal life, such as with family and friends, that sort of thing?
0: In a way, it's had a tremendous effect, because this is something that I do now so often. It is another part-time job for me, that I actually rarely find myself going to an event doing some kind of activity that does not involve Mm -hmm. (laughs) doing (laughs) historical portrayals of some kind. Mm -hmm. I recently flew to Texas for a friend's wedding. And when I came back, I was just mentally thinking, oh, okay, well, I need to unpack my dresses and I need to do this. And then I had to stop myself and realize, I didn't bring costumes. <laughs> I, I don't have to go through my props and make sure they're clean and neatly packed for the next use. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do that. <laughs> I had to remind myself that I simply went there as a friend to take part in, in my friend's wedding.
1: Right. <laughs> Are you constantly searching for new characters that you can portray?
0: There's a few other people in in my thoughts that I might, might someday portray, but... I've actually found more topics to do as an illustrated lecture. For example, I'm putting together a lecture on the fashion that Laura Ingalls Wilder included in her novels and how that was very actually accurate in some aspects and then very inaccurate. And the verbiage that Mrs. Wilder used when she was writing the books, which was in her 60s, was antiquated at that time and it could be considered antiquated when she was writing about the 1870s and so i've had to do research and find out she was probably using words her mother shared with her and her mother was born in the 1830s and so going back almost a hundred years you could look at where vocabulary came from and all that to research fashion that's (laughs) the depth of research that i do
1: right what do you like most about being mary lincoln
0: I really like most portraying Mary Lincoln as a real person. She wasn't a stereotype. She was a real person. I mentioned earlier that she could throw a hissy fit. She could hold grudges for decades. She was not perfect, but she was human. She unfortunately had to bury three of her children in her lifetime, which is something nowadays the majority of the people on this planet can't fathom. She also had her husband shot to death while he was sitting next to her, which is part of the reason what led me to co-write a presentation about the similarities and the differences between Mary Lincoln and Jackie Kennedy. They both experienced that. And what do I like most about being Laura Ingalls Wilder? Actually setting the record straight, there is a lot of misinformation out there about Laura Ingalls Wilder, some of which I admit she herself perpetrated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she really encouraged a, a very idealized sense of the pioneer life. And so my presentations set the record straight, what really happened in her life, which in some ways was actually even more fascinating than Mm -hmm. what she herself wrote about in her novels. I like most about portraying Mary Harlan Lincoln, basically because no one's ever heard of this person before. (laughs) And so that's one more person from history who had an amazing impact on history that no one's ever heard of. Elizabeth Cady Stanton, as I mentioned, that's my newest character. What I like most about portraying her is so much of what she wrote and what she said is so applicable now, today, in late 2019, that it's eerie. I actually became depressed when I was reading some of her writings because it is so applicable what women are going through, what the equality of society in general is going through. Mrs. Stanton wanted the equality of all people and of every level of society, and so that's what she really strove for and and what she fought for and what people are still fighting for today and i have been proud and humbled that at the end of my presentations more than once people have actually stood up and applauded not for me not for laura keys for mrs stanton's words for the words that she wrote
1: wow that's amazing
0: the first time it happened, it truly took my breath away.
1: <laughs> when you do Q and A's at these events that you mm-hmm. go to, like say when you're Mary Lincoln, what what are the questions you get asked the most?
0: First of all, I typically answer questions as Laura Keys. I do step out of character. Okay. I quickly realized that it was easier to do that because otherwise, I would actually be very hampered. For example, I couldn't answer questions about anything that happened after you know, about 1881. Right. Um, so to answer your question, what are the questions that I get asked a lot? The first one, the most common one almost every single time was, wasn't she crazy? And my answer is usually, well, how much time do you have? Mm-hmm. Because we can debate this for the next hour. But the short answer is no, she wasn't. She needed a mental break after the death of her third child in 1871 she needed a mental break she didn't get it until 1875 when her son did arrange to have her declared insane by a court of law we should not vilify robert lincoln for doing that because he truly did what he thought was best for his mother the unfortunate thing is he handled the situation like the expert lawyer that he was. He didn't really handle it like a son. Another question that I often get is, uh, what are you wearing under there? And to that I answer, what are you wearing under there? <laughs> Especially if it's asked in that phrase. Yeah. If the question is phrased a different way, such as, are you wearing a, a petticoat and corset? then I I actually often will show some of my petticoats Mm -hmm. and just some of the layers that I'm wearing. Mm -hmm. But if the question is asked in a very rude way, I don't always answer it in a very complete way.
1: So looking back on your time as Mary Lincoln, is there something that you're most proud of?
0: (laughs) Actually, what I'm most proud of in, in my only really small way is setting the record straight on Mary Lincoln Doing my best to remove the stereotype of a crazy woman, removing the vitriol that has surrounded her since her lifetime, so for well over a century, she had flaws, but she was human, and every human does have
1: flaws. Same question for some of your other characters, something you're proud of?
0: As Mrs. Stanton... She is one of the first women in America who publicly suggested that women should have the right to vote, and she, she fought the rest of her life to secure that vote. And she did die before it was officially granted, and her best friend, Susan B. Anthony, is most remembered for that. And I don't begrudge Miss Anthony that, but what I'm proud of is once again telling Telling the untold side of the story, telling Mrs. Stanton's story, which is not usually told.
1: I did want to ask you, because we don't often take these into the present day with everything that's <laughs> going on today, even though with Mrs. Stanton, like you mentioned, a lot of her stuff does relate to today. Mm-hmm. But in these divisive political times, do you, Mary Lincoln, have any words of encouragement?
0: I guess I will do this in character. I did, I did portray something.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it was in 1855 that my husband, Mr. Lincoln, was hired to represent Mr. Manny over in Rockford, where he was sued for patent infringement from Mr. McCormick. Mr. Lincoln was to gather first-hand information on the machinery, then join the rest of his legal team when the court would meet, I believe it was in Cincinnati. Mr. Lincoln had never met any of these other lawyers before who would make up the team to defend the Manny Reaper Company, but they knew they must all work together in order to win the case. And when Mr. Lincoln first entered that room, the lead counsel, Mr. Edwin Stanton, inquired where did that long-armed baboon come from? And despite this insult, Despite the fact that Mr. Stanton did not join the newly created Republican Party and stand with Mr. Lincoln when he was elected in 1860, Mr. Lincoln saw that Mr. Stanton was educated and talented and Mr. Stanton was appointed Secretary of War in 1862. So Mr. Lincoln saw, as so few did, and so few do in the current day, that folks had better work together to save this nation. After seeing firsthand that a civil war will not only tear apart a nation, but will tear apart a family. I say to you, work together to heal this breach And if those in charge are not working together, but are pushing each other apart, find those that will truly work for the good of this nation.
1: (laughs) That was awesome. And thank you for doing that in character.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome.
1: I think we should end on that. That was great. Thank uh, you. Thank you for your time. Here's to drinking with Mary Lincoln. Yeah, that was great. All right. Yes, Thank you. And thank you so much for doing this find out more about Laura's work as Mary Lincoln and all of her many historical endeavors, visit her website, laurafkeys.com. You can also check out her schedule on her Facebook page, Historic Voices. Laura mentioned that people get into historical reenactment for all kinds of reasons and from all kinds of backgrounds. I saw that myself at the Civil War reenactment at Haynesville. I met a school teacher who portrayed Haynesville founder Elijah Haynes, I met a freelance reporter who portrayed African-American Civil War correspondent Morris Chester. Laura's husband portrayed one of his own ancestors, and then there was Kevin Wood, a former missionary, who portrays Abraham Lincoln. I'm putting together a bonus episode of Drinking with Lincoln. You'll be able to meet the interesting people that I met. You can check it out on our website at WNIJ.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, Laura mentioned an event in Rockford celebrating 100 years of women having the right to vote. She'll be appearing there as Elizabeth Cady Stanton. This event, called Sippin' with Suffragists, modeled after this very show, will take place on August 18th, 2020, the exact date the 19th Amendment was ratified 100 years ago. It will be held at Prairie Street Brewing in Rockford. Laura will also be appearing at a 200th birthday celebration of Susan B. Anthony, called Sippin' and Tippin' with Susan, which will be held February 11th at the University Club in Rockford. Both events are fundraisers for the Women's Suffrage Centennial Statue and are being organized by the Women's Suffrage Centennial Celebration, or WSC 2020. You can find out more about their organization, this fundraiser, and the many, many events they have planned for 2020 on their Facebook page. Just go to Facebook and search for WSC 2020 IL. I'll also drop the link in our show notes at WNIJ.org. And that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening to the Drinking with Lincoln podcast. And thanks to Laura Keys and her husband, Robert Kaplafka, for spending the day with us. Thanks to John and Elaine Michelli for sharing your musical talents and your intriguing instruments. And thanks to Only Child Brewing for sharing your space and your awesome beer. Our sound engineer is Spencer Tritt. Our theme music was provided by Mannequin Torso, recorded live on another WNIJ show, Sessions from Studio A. I'll drop a link to that performance in the show notes, which you can find at WNIJ.org. I'll also link to other information on the people and places you heard about in today's episode, so be sure to check those out. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, the NPR One app, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, and consider leaving us a review. And if there are any Lincoln topics you'd like us to cover, or Lincoln presenters you'd like us to interview, drop us a line at lincoln at niu.edu. This show was produced by WNIJ, Northern Public Radio, where you learn something new every day. Thanks for listening.